Hi, everybody. This is Alex Romanovich, and welcome to Global Edge Talk COVID Convo. Today, we're meeting again with Dr. Wendy Tung, and uh, it is Saturday, May 23rd, 2020. And the topic of our conversation is long term uh, effects of COVID 19, what we can expect later, and some of the unexplained things that we will discuss as well. Dr. Wendy, welcome to our studio. Thanks for having me. A lot of attention has been centered on how the, around how the infection presents and how it causes death, immediate response of our bodies, you know, symptoms and so forth. And we always think of COVID cases in a couple of categories, confirmed cases and deaths. You know, I constantly listen to our governor in New York State, Andrew Cuomo, who talks about statistics on presenting with symptoms, you know, number of people presenting with symptoms, some of the folks who are asymptomatic, and also the morbid, the morbidity, the uh, the stats that that is not very pleasant to hear, but nevertheless we still have it. But we do not talk yet about some of the long term consequences and effects of COVID nineteen, and you know I'm wondering sometimes, having been through. COVID-19, having had the virus, I'm wondering what's going to happen next. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, we really haven't, you know, talked about this much, whether it's in the media. You know, when you think about it, we've, we're only six months out from when the first COVID cases started appearing in China. So it's still a little bit, uh, you know, too short of a time to know really what the long-term complications are for those who survive the infection. Um, we do know that a lot of uh, the damage to um, multiple organ systems can be long-lasting and may even persist for these individuals for the rest of their lives. So that even if they didn't succumb and pass away from the, the infection, that after the infection has you know, re resolved in its acute presentation, that there could be an impact for a very long time or even for the rest of their lives. Um, and uh, as we're learning more, we're, you know, we're seeing that happen. And of course, you know, some of the presentations, um, you know, such as stroke or heart attack, um, even if somebody survives from that, we do know that just from the nature of the stroke or, or the heart attack, that it could persist for that person's um, rest of their lives and impact not only their quality of life, but also their productivity. And that productivity uh, could present as a, a social as well as economic burden for society. So how do we prepare ourselves for what's, what may come? You know, it's only been a few months, six to seven months from the first COVID case that we know of appearing in China. Now we're actually seeing some of the cases uh, that go back as early as December, even in the United States and Europe. And uh, it still seems too short of a time to know what the long-term complications may be. I mean, some of the studies have started in China and Europe and even in the, in the United States. But could we project, could we um, begin to collect the long-term impact data and on the on the effects of COVID. Yeah, there's um, some data. I saw a study that was performed by the National Health Services in the United Kingdom 
that observed that of those who were hospitalized, uh, half of those who were discharged from the hospital required ongoing care. And um, for those who were not uh, severely sick and were not in the intensive care unit, that on average was 20 days of post-discharge care. And then for those who were critically ill and in the ICU intensive care unit, their needs are more ongoing. So how do we prepare for this? Uh, we do know that also um, of the younger people, younger patients who were um, hospitalized, that half of them uh, are physically unable to work when they leave the hospital. And so what we can do at this point, even with the little that we know to prepare ourselves, is that um, really changing our mindset that um, a recovery of 14 days, two weeks, is, is, is if somebody survives two weeks, they're out, they're good, and then they can return back to work. Um, what we're seeing is that that is not uh, the case for those who end up being in the hospital and that we have to envision probably at least a month of recovery, even if that person was young and healthy and had no other pre-existing conditions when they entered the hospital, that, you know, half of them um, have ongoing care needs. And what do those care needs mean? It means um, providing that support in the home setting once they leave the hospital. And what does that um, ongoing support look like. Um, it could really vary from individual to individual depending on how COVID um, affected their health. Um, and so in, in many different people, we know, we're now seeing COVID presents in, in very many different ways. Um, in, our, uh, in the early stages, we saw you know, respiratory problems with pneumonia, fever, cough. Um, later on, we've seen some uh, of the younger people have strokes and now even children, you know, with Kawasaki's disease, uh, which is a multi-organ inflammatory condition. So um, what we do know is that, you know, there could be all sorts of needs um, that now are going to present themselves in our communities um, and in the home settings that, that we didn't experience before. Uh, very interesting. You know, as, in our society, it's kind of interesting that, and you know this yourself, we tend to be very quick about things, right? We don't talk much about rehabilitation, although there are, some, uh, there are a number of rehabilitation centers and even methods and uh, techniques and so forth. But uh, the expectation is that we're going to go back to normal and open the country and ba go back to work and uh, operated the same level of performance, right? Um, uh, yet, there will be plenty of people, uh, and I would like for you to comment on that, that may be, feel very uncomfortable to go back into the working environment and may, be, uh, may not be physically able to do so, uh, or mentally for that matter, right? And um, so uh, the way we have been receiving healthcare, the way we have been uh, told to go back to work, you know, typically when we give birth in America, they, you know, the hospital wants us to go back, wants the mother to go back to work three days after, four days after. In some countries, they take a, a sabbatical for, uh, you know, for six months, uh, you know, and so forth. Um, what does that mean for um, our society? What does that mean for things like telemedicine? What does it mean for things like home care? How is this going to evolve based on these developments? 
Yeah, so it's interesting because in, in healthcare, um, there's now been um, a, a shift, a really, uh, actually a pretty rapid shift to, towards telemedicine. Um, and there's certainly a lot of areas where, of course, telemedicine can replace that in-person visit to the clinic um, to see the doctor. There's a lot now that we can, we've proven we can successfully uh, transfer to a technology platform, you know, done remotely. Um, and, and yet at the same time, in healthcare, there are certain things you cannot substitute. You can't, you know, have a robot uh, perform surgery on the kitchen table on you. You know, you still need to go to the hospital. And the same thing, same analogy comes in into home care too. That um, there's only so much that maybe even a wearable device that detects a fall or blood pressure or hypertension or fever can can obtain and yet there's all these things that you know and and especially when we look at the wellness of a senior um, which includes such parameters as are they taking their meals are they taking their medications how is their emotional well-being um, are they happy or or are they content um, uh, you know, uh, you also, is their house clean? These are oftentimes the concerns of family members if um, they are remote from their uh, senior loved ones or if they actually want to limit their number of visits to their senior loved ones. And these things that I just mentioned actually do need, you know, a human being in place uh, to provide that support which no robot no technology can can really duplicate in the same way that there are certain aspects of healthcare um, that you can't duplicate uh, whether it's telemedicine or in the home setting that that person still needs to go to the clinic to have that um, human interaction and so you know what we are um, looking at are ways to extend and enhance and make more effective um, both medicine as well as home care. You know, we're really on the cusp of seeing how um, healthcare, whether it's home care, clinic care, hospital care is delivered and how um, uh, people can have access to it and still get the healthcare outcomes, the wellness outcomes, um, but uh, using technology in such a way to enhance, you know, um, the the still inevitably, you know, you cannot completely replace it with the human interaction. That's what I'm seeing, um, and that's certainly um, exciting to see. You know how home care, health care, medical care, uh, senior care is is on the cusp of evolving. Well, I think it's a very good point. You know, I'll be honest. I, I in in. Um, Visiting virtually visiting my physicians after COVID, uh, whether it's my cardiologist or my uh, primary care physician, and having those video conferences, uh, I've noticed a couple of things. By the way, one is that they spend a little bit more time with me now via video, right? So maybe they have a little bit more time on their hands, and the um, not as many patients or as many videos uh, certainly don't have the um, the hustle and bustle of, of the office environment when you come in, um, don't have the busy waiting rooms, uh, you know, and a lot of it went to virtual, number one. Number two, I'm also noticing that their bedside manner is, is improving. They're actually getting a little bit more uh, attentive. 
so it's not just about, hey, let's prescribe this medication and let's change the, those meds and let's do this procedure. They're actually beginning to care more about what is it, you know, what are your symptoms? You know, tell me more about your family history and so forth. But I think you're right about the technology piece is that for us to feel more, even more comfortable, there has to be some level of integration and um, fusion of this bedside um, you know, care, if you will, whether it's home or uh, you know, in the facility, in the nursing home or assisted living facility or the office, uh, doctor's office, or even the hospital facility, plus a lot of the data that they need to operate. I mean, it's taken us this long to finally have video conferencing with the physicians. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember doing telemedicine with my primary care physicians or my specialists in New York City for a very, very long time. I would say never. And finally, mm -hmm. it's here. Finally, COVID-19 is forcing us to change the way we do things in healthcare. And I think I'm very optimistic that um, things will change for the better. And things will change for the better in terms of fusing technology, fusing care uh, for the for the um, you know for the benefit of our patients, especially our elders who may need it the most. Yes, and and I agree. This this really forces us, pushes us to the edge, where you know either we improve or we go under. And you know that I, I love hearing about how your cardiologist bedside manner has actually improved because now they have to learn a new way of communicating through you know a video conference and pay attention you know to cues that uh in the past that, that they just have to be more attentive looking at you on a video conference call and then at the same time there are some things that they can't have access to to helping their clinical judgment like they can't put a stethoscope through you to through the, your laptop's microphone and hear your heart sounds you know and there's still some things that cannot be completely replaced by the technology um so it's it's, it's really interesting seeing this evolution um, uh, happening right before our eyes. But can you imagine, I mean, you just said something very, very interesting. They actually have to now maintain the eye contact with you through the video conference. Mm -hmm. I, I was, li I am literally sitting in the office with my cardiologist and he is not even looking at me. He's looking at the screen. He's looking at yeah. the computer. He's looking at the iPad. He's talking to his assistant. He is taking, you know, uh, he's taking data you know, whatever, here he actually has to look me in the eye and ask me questions in a very human kind of way. So you're absolutely right that it's, it's forcing the, the, the healthcare professionals uh, to behave in a different way. Um, Dr. Wendy, thank you so much. Great conversation. I think we will have to um, really be mindful of the long-term effects of COVID, and we will have even more data coming um, to us, um, fortunate or unfortunate. Um, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will, you know, the society will adapt to receiving this data and, and making it useful, making it practical. So we thank you very much for your participation. Thank you for having me.